I'm Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to season two of Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy. Last year, our episodes were played over 10,000 times to help listeners like you crush the PCS exam, and they did. This year, you can expect more content and even more review to help you feel confident on test day. Let's not waste any more time. Time to study. Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, if you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics or send us an email at pushingpediatrics at gmail.com. Hey guys, have you been thinking about joining MedBridge to access the PCS prep program? but just haven't jumped on it yet? Well, we have a special offer for you. We've partnered with MedBridge to offer you all a special discount code on their subscriptions. You can either go onto their MedBridge page and use the code PUSHINGPEDS for $150 off of your subscription or click on the link on the episode summary to go directly to our Pushing Pediatrics page. Follow us, but not studying for the PCS exam? That's okay. You can still use this discount code as well. Share it with your colleagues and other friends who may be studying for their other specialty exams. You all know how much we utilized MedBridge during our studying and how we based our entire study plan off of their content. So take advantage of this special offer and purchase your MedBridge subscription today. Welcome back. Continuing on with our topic this week, we will be going over a case study about brachial plexus injury. Let's waste no time and jump into it. A 13-month-old boy was referred to an outpatient therapy clinic for management of concerns related to his obstetric brachial plexus palsy. The child's medical history was obtained through an interview with his parents and a review of available records. The patient was born at full term following a pregnancy that was complicated by maternal diabetes. The forceps-assisted vaginal delivery was complicated by prolonged labor, fetal heart rate decelerations, and fetal shoulder dystocia. At birth, complete flaccidity and an absence of deep tendon and neonatal reflexes were noted on his right upper extremity. An MRI and a CT myelography performed at three months of age revealed an intact C5 nerve root and avulsion of C6 through T1 nerve roots. At six months of age, a nerve graft was performed. The parents report limited functional improvements since the nerve graft. They state that they are becoming increasingly concerned about their son's future and his ability to functionally use his right arm. Just a side note about this case, with it being the first case in that case files book, it was obviously the first one that I read. 
And I was already completely sold on the book because just that year I had started working with a child with a brachial plexus injury and granted he was much older. Um, but that was like a sign for me that I knew studying for this exam was like the right thing for me to be doing. All right, we're going to go ahead and dive right into the case. So let's start with the brachial plexus. We have gone over this in previous episodes, but we're going to review it again because memorization, memorization, memorization. I remember the different segments of the brachial plexus by the mnemonic device, really tired drink coffee. Starting off with the roots, you have C5, C6, C7, C8, and T1. At the roots, the dorsal scapular nerve comes off of C5 and the long thoracic nerve comes off of C5 to C7. Then there are three trunks. C5 and C6 combine to make the superior trunk. C7 is the middle trunk. And C8 and T1 create the inferior trunk. The suprascapular and subclavius nerves come off of the superior trunk. Onto divisions, the superior trunk receives input from C7 as well as C5 and C6 and stays anterior. The middle trunk receives input from all three of the trunks and stays posterior. The inferior trunk stays as is and stays anterior. Then you get to cords. There is the lateral cord, which gives rise to the musculocutaneous nerve and part of the median nerve. The posterior cord, which gives rise to the axillary and the radial nerves and then the median cord, which gives rise to the median and ulnar nerve. There are also many other nerves that come off of the brachial plexus, so we encourage you to take a look and practice drawing them out. Let's go over some general physical therapy plan of care and goals for this patient. These include maintaining or improving active and passive range of motion, encouraging functional use of the involved upper extremity, improving sensory awareness, supporting motor and sensory recovery, maximizing functional outcome, and avoiding any further injury to that arm. Some physical therapy interventions include passive, active, and active-assisted range of motion, strengthening exercises, functional upper extremity activities, parent-child education related to joint alignment and extremity protection, neuromuscular electrical stimulation, biofeedback, and splinting. Some precautions for physical therapy include awareness of surgeon and physician-specific protocols for activity restrictions, avoidance of overstretching, awareness of potential for decreased sensation in that involved upper extremity, and maintenance of appropriate biomechanical alignment of the involved upper extremity during weight-bearing. Some complications that may interfere with physical therapy include development of torticollis, decreased sensation, unstable joints, contractures, flaccidity, and or neglect of the involved upper extremity. Children who do not achieve early and full recovery may be candidates for neurosurgery. The book gives some examples of what primary indicators have been in the past, but has noted that most recently, the best predictor of the need for neurosurgery has been identified as a lack of recovery in the shoulder external rotators and forearm supinators. 
it has been agreed that children who have a total plexus injury plus Horner syndrome and who show no signs of recovery require neurosurgical repair in order to have any chance of improved function. It has also been determined that infants who demonstrate early and full recovery within three to four weeks of life are best managed conservatively. Something to also be aware of is that some children may experience the impact of BPI well into adulthood. They may experience pain, impaired sensation, upper extremity arthritis, and functional limitations. This has grade A evidence. Some outcome measures that can be used for children with BPI include the assisting hand assessment, the self-care domain of the PD, and the Pediatric Outcomes Data Collection Instrument. This has grade A evidence. When performing an assessment, examination, and developing a plan of care, it is important to be aware of any precautions or contraindications for the child. After an initial seven to 10 days of a rest period for neonates, physical therapy can typically commence safely. Serial casting and splinting have also been noted to be effective to address upper extremity contractures and improve function in children with BPI. This has grade B evidence. Some general facts about BPI. Obstetric brachial plexus palsy typically involves the upper plexus, which consists of C5, C6 nerve roots. Shoulder dystocia or difficult delivery of the shoulder may result in pulling on the nerves within the brachial plexus and therefore is a risk factor for a brachial plexus injury. Last, the assisting hand assessment was developed for use with children 18 months to 12 years of age. I thought that this case study really did a good job talking about outcome measures for brachial plexus. And I feel like just this case files case study really helped me solidify some of the accepted outcome measures for brachial plexus. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this episode. Make sure you listen to our episode from earlier this week, episode 19, brachial plexus injuries. Let us know if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen. Happy studying! Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you, so send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next time. And remember, you totally got it.